You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Have a heated uh, emotional time with somebody. And again, uh, you forget that. You forget that that person you're dealing with, that person you're struggling with, that person you're in, in conflict with, that person matters to God. Especially right now as we're kind of witnessing uh, the emotions on display with the potential of the Roe v. Wade being overturned by the United States Supreme Court. Again, it is so easy for the pro-choice crowd to villainize the pro-life crowd and vice versa. It's easy for those of us that maybe find ourselves in the pro-life crowd to forget that those who favor abortion, even in its most extreme forms, are still people who matter to God. And that truth often gets lost in the heat of the debate, in the heat of the battle especially where matters like life hang in the balance or, or people who perceive a sacred right is being taken from them. It's really just tempting and it's really easy to just want to go for the jugular, to win the battle, to win the fight, to be right. And yet, no matter how vulgar, no matter how vile, no matter how reprehensible the person their actions, their behavior are. Whichever side of the issue that you may find them on, they matter to God. And it's our responsibility, it's our mandate, it's our mission as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ. It is on us to bring the message of forgiveness. It is on us to bring the message of God's grace, of his mercy, of his goodness, the message of the work of the cross, the message of reconciliation to the lost, regardless of how lost they may be. Like I said several weeks ago, peacemaking is very, very easy until you have to do it, right? It's one thing to talk about being at peace with difficult people, but it's an entirely different thing when you are in the midst of a difficult, heated, emotional confrontation. Am I right? Yeah. We're working our way through a series of messages on ways to really kind of be at peace with other people, especially when maybe those people that we're surrounded by are difficult, maybe even toxic people, or maybe they're family members. And specifically, we've been kind of focusing on some ways to kind of successfully navigate those relationships, whether they're in the workplace, whether they're in our family, our neighborhood, or maybe even right here within our church family. And which again, all of us have encountered in the past. We're gonna encounter difficult, toxic relationships in the future. Some of you may even be in the midst of one right now. Last time we talked about the most effective key to overcoming toxic, difficult people is really found in the power of prayer. 
Because it's through prayer, it's in that relationship with God, it's in that dialogue of God as he's renewing our hearts and our minds that God gives us the strength, he gives us the wisdom, the discernment, the love, the power, and the ability to apply and to walk out this thing in a way that honors him and it honors the people that we're dealing with. And this is so important because as the saying goes, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your family, right? And when a friendship or a coworker relationship goes awry, you can usually kind of minimize your contact with that person. But when it's a family member, especially maybe in your immediate family, avoidance becomes much more difficult. So there just are some relationships in our lives that we just really need to work harder at in working out. Now before we go into these prayers, let me just kind of share with you some sources, places that have the potential to turn a person toxic. How does a healthy person go from uh, becoming healthy to becoming unhealthy? How does a normal person become somebody who's damaging and poisoning others around them? The number one cause of toxicity is envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy, it will rob your spirit of joy and peace. Envy and jealousy, it's like taking cancer into your heart. When you see somebody, whether that's a friend, a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, and suddenly they're succeeding and you're not, it's very easy to just kind of get envious and jealous because you have opened the door to toxicity and you just need to be aware of that. Because the moment you allow envy and jealousy into your heart, the seeds of toxicity have been planted. And those seeds will take root and they will begin to grow and they will begin to produce fruit. And that fruit will be toxicity in your relationships. And those relationships will begin to break down and they will begin to become unhealthy. When somebody makes more money than you do or they get a raise and a promotion at work and you didn't. Somebody gets married, and you want to be married. Somebody has a baby, and you've been longing to be a mom, and you thought it should have been you. Again, you open the door. You allow the potential for the seeds of toxicity through envy and jealousy to come walking through. And again, if we're not careful, if we're not rightly discerning our hearts, we have the potential to become toxic do you know what the most fertile ground is for envy? It's with the people who are most like you. That's where envy oftentimes will begin to rear its ugly head. When you get around people who are most like you or who share similar passions and are in similar professions, authors mainly become envious of other authors. Doctors become envious of other doctors. Athletes mainly become envious and jealous of other athletes. I see this all the time when I get around other pastors. If you've ever been in a group of pastors, it's just inevitable as you're going around the room and meeting other pastors, the question will come up, how big is your church? It does. It, it's amazing. Sometimes it's the first question that'll come out of a pastor's mouth after they've asked for your name. 
How big is your church? Because again, largely pastors kind of gauge their success based upon how big their church is. So, so oftentimes we kind of want to see, am I more successful than you? And again, uh, it all kind of comes out of that we share a common passion. We're in a similar profession. So whenever I get around other pastors, I'm always kind of on guard for that. I, I, I know that that is a fertile ground for envy and jealousy to begin to take root. Now, what's also true is the opposite. An author will usually not develop envy or jealousy toward a plumber. Well, not because they don't like plumbers, but it's just not a similar passion or profession that they share, okay? A, a, a pastor will not be envious of an athlete, especially if that pastor doesn't aspire to become an athlete or care about athletics, okay? It's just, it, it's just not an area that you have any interest. It's not an area that you want to excel in. It's not something you particularly want to be good at. So in those areas, oftentimes you will not experience envy or jealousy. You may admire them, you may be happy for them, but it's not an area where you're gonna probably develop a lot of envy and jealousy because it's not an area you aspire to do well in. Do you know why the religious leaders cooperated and conspired in the death of Jesus upon the cross? Look at what Mark chapter 15 verse 10 says. For he, Pilate, realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of what? Envy. The Pharisees, they were envious of all that Jesus was doing. They were jealous of the crowd's response to him. And that envy produced toxicity in them. And that toxicity led to them wanting to conspire to murder Jesus. So beware when you start to feel jealous and envy towards others. You're opening the door to toxicity in those relationships. That's number one. Number two source of toxicity and the reason people become toxic is money. Next to envy, money has made more people toxic than anything else. And a lot of us know money, it has the power to destroy relationships, marriages, families, and friendships. Think back how many people have won like huge sums of money in a lottery, and then like three or four years later, their life is a complete mess. How many children are resentful and bitter towards their parents because mom and dad were more interested in the almighty dollar than being there for their kids? Money has the potential to create toxicity if we're not careful. Now Jesus was a very generous person, but we also know money had no hold over him. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees could not stand the fact that Jesus had no interest in having a lot of money. In Luke 16, Jesus is telling the parable of the shrewd manager, and in verse 13 concludes the parable by saying, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. He says you cannot serve both God and money. What did the Pharisees do with that? Look at the next verse. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed. They mocked Jesus. 
The Pharisees loved money and they used people, whereas Jesus loved people and he used money. When you start loving money more than people, you're on the road to becoming toxic. Ecclesiastes 7, 7 warns, he says, even wise people are fools if they let money change their thinking. So you just need to be aware of the power and the influence of money and the potential it carries to make you toxic in relationships. The third source that causes people to go toxic is bitterness. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, look after each other. Now just stop and, and I want you to focus on those four words. Look after each other other what does that imply what does that imply am I in this alone is this just about me no no look after each other I, I need to be looking at, after my sisters after my brothers I need to be looking after them. I need to be paying attention. What is happening in their lives? This is a, a community thing. God is calling us as a body to look after one another. Not in judgment. Not in condemnation. But in support and in, in encouraging. And at times, correction. So he says here, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. That's our call to one another, to look after one another, to make sure the things that are happening in our lives, the things are not happening that would cause you to fail to receive the grace of God. There's, there can be nothing more unloving in a body than seeing people that are headed for destruction and just stand by and do nothing. The, the writer in Hebrew says, look after each other. Make it your responsibility. See to it that no one around you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you. So he gives an example there. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Let me ask you this. How do you fail to receive the grace of God? I mean, the Bible says it's possible, so what does that look like? What does that mean? How does that happen? Well, the word grace in the Greek, according to Strong's Concordance, means God's divine influence upon the human heart and its reflection or our reaction to it in life. So is God's divine influence upon my heart, what is my reaction? What is my response to that? How does that manifest itself in my life? So when God divinely influences your heart towards righteousness and you choose unrighteousness, the Bible says you have failed to receive the grace of God in that area of your life. When God divinely inspires your heart to do something godly and you choose to do something ungodly, the Bible says you have failed to receive the grace of God in that particular area of your life. When God divinely influences your heart to go one direction and you go the opposite direction, the Bible says you have failed to receive the grace of God in that area of your life. 
And that's where, again, it, it's a communal call. It's a call to the community, to the body of Christ. Watch out for one another. So that when we see that happening, that we can come out of love, out of care, out of concern. If we have to rebuke or bring correction, we want to do that in gentleness. We want to do that in love. We want to do that in kindness. We want to do that to them the way we would want them to do that to us. And here's the thing, when you fail to receive the grace of God, you'll also fail to receive the benefits and the blessings of God because you did not respond to his divine influence upon your heart. And whenever that happens, the door to bitterness toward God and towards others begins to open wide. Because oftentimes when that happens, we become mad, we become bitter, we become frustrated, we become disappointed because we believe that God is unfairly withholding his blessings from us when in truth, we're just walking in disobedience and rebellion. We want to blame God rather than take inventory of our own lives, our own heart, our own decisions. You may see other Christians who are being blessed and they're being rewarded by God who have not failed the grace of God. And because you have failed the grace of God, maybe through rebellion or disobedience, there just springs up in us this potential, this, this root of bitterness can begin to take hold in us towards others and towards God. So envy and jealousy, money and bitterness are three of the primary sources for toxicity in our lives. And the antidote, the solution for that toxicity, especially in those close relationships with other people and family, are four prayers that you can begin to pray. And we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And again, we're just in those prayers. We're inviting, we're asking God to come into this situation. We're asking God to come into this relationship where we're experiencing difficulty and, and, and toxicity. We're asking God to come in and God, would you just please begin to move? And the first prayer I gave you a couple of weeks ago was God, enable me, empower me to forgive that person. Now this is the number one prayer because this is where it's always got to start. We've got to begin here, whatever there is a breakdown in, our, in relationships. It's just saying, God, enable me, empower me to forgive that person. If we try to forgive others out of our own strength, our own ability, our own power, there are always going to be expectations, conditions, and exceptions attached to that towards the person we are forgiving. We'll say things like, okay, well, I'll forgive you if you promise never to do that again. See what happens? We've, we've attached an expectation to that. I will if you will. Forgiveness involves putting the person who wronged you and the situation fully, completely, totally into the hands of God and trusting him that he will do the right thing with that person and that situation. You can never, ever bring justice to that the way God can. And it's just allowing him to do and to bring justice 
to that injustice. So that is the starting point to victory in any toxic relationship is forgiveness. And it's asking, it's relying on, it's leaning into God's power working in us rather than our own. Second prayer is, Father, strengthen me to know and accept my limitations. Like it or not, whether you're even aware of it or not, you are not indestructible. You have limits. You are not inexhaustible. Now, the people who are in the most danger in dealing with toxic people are those who think or see themselves that they have got it all so much together that another person could, could possibly or potentially never hurt or affect them. People who are in the most danger in dealing with toxic people are those who think they've got it all so together that another person could never affect them or hurt them. You and I are just human beings, and as human beings, every one of us have limitations. We can only do so much, and it's generally much less than most of us realize or accept. I love the picture the Apostle Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, when he says this, we have this treasure from God, but we are like clay jars that hold the treasure. This shows that the great power is from God, not from us. I love that phrase, clay jars. That's God's picture of us. One of the ways that God sees us when he looks at us is we're clay jars. We're sheep, we're a lot of things, but one of the things that God sees when he looks at us is the analogy of a clay jar. That is, they're common. They're easily broken. That's what we are, right? There's great freedom in knowing, understanding, and accepting who you are and what your limitations are. I am a clay jar that God wants to store his great treasure in. That's who I am. That's who you are. You are a clay jar, common, easily broken, but God wants to store his great treasure in you. That means I'm not trying to be Lord of the universe, not trying to be something I'm not. It's just realizing and accepting I am a clay jar, and God stores his great treasure in me. And that great treasure that we contain is the Holy Spirit. And it is through the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit that God is going to be able to love the unlovable through you. It's through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our clay pots that we're going to be able to forgive the unforgivable. And Paul says that great demonstration of love and forgiveness is going to show that the power to do that, to be that, came from God and not from us. I love that. It's a great picture. It's an accurate picture of who we are, of how God sees us. 
And as clay jars, we need to recognize that when it comes to toxic people, I want you to recognize there are at least three limitations we have to recognize, we gotta understand, and we gotta accept. And the first one is, I am not God. And I think we all know that to a certain degree, but sometimes when it comes to the way we relate to others and to ourselves, it's tempting to want to forget that. I think this was one of the lessons Job learned, and I think it's one of the lessons we need to learn from Job. There are things that happen in our lives, and there are things that happen in the lives of people that we love, that we just don't understand. And there are things that we want to change and we want to control that are just beyond our ability to control. All of us, we've been in that seat before, right? No matter how much you think, no matter how much you maybe think you are in control of, let me tell you, there is so much more that you are not in control of. And when that feeling of being out of control comes and tries to steal our, jo our, our joy and rob us of our peace, we would do well to remember Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Now I want you to recognize the order of that. Be still and know that I am God. Oftentimes we kind of want to flip that. Know that God and, 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 and make me still. No, 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 no. The order is, there, there comes a time we just got to stop. We got to slow down. We got to come to a place of stillness. And it's in that place of stillness that we will come to know that he is God. See, again, for me and for many of us, I mean, we've got so much chaos and our lives are so hectic and we're scattered and we're trying to figure God out in our lives and we're trying to figure God out in other lives. And as a pastor, you just feel like you owe everybody an explanation for everything that God is doing or that God has allowed especially when their hopes or their expectations of God were on something completely different. And it's just learning to accept and to understand and to recognize my limitations as a clay pot and as a human being. And it's just to come to that place of stillness and know that he is God, or as David said, to know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He causes me to lie down in green pastures. I love what Hebrews 4.11 says. It says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. I believe that place of rest begins with our just coming before God and just becoming still in his presence. Acknowledging you are God, I am not. You are in control, I am not. You are the healer, I am not. You are the repairer of the breach, as Isaiah 58, 12 proclaims, and I am not. You are the restorer of paths, I am not. You are the treasure, I am the container. I am the clay pot. That's the first limitation. Second limitation that we've got to accept and understand, 
when it comes to dealing with toxic people is I cannot force someone else to change their behavior or their thoughts. It is so tempting, isn't it, to want to get into people's faces on, on controversial issues. I mean, I've seen this the last couple of days as people, the pro-life people, want to get in the face of the pro-choice people and the pro-choice people want to get in the face of the pro-life people and they just want to go at it. And we do that because we really think we're going to make a difference. We're going to say something that's just going to turn the key for them. Rarely do I ever see that happen. Matter of fact, I, I can't recall ever seeing a video where two people are going at it on a controversial issue and one person steps back and says, you know, I never thought about that. You're right. I'm wrong. Never seen that. For all the videos out there, you would think somebody would capture a magical moment like that and no one has. And I believe no one has because it really often or really rarely ever happens. As much as we want it to, as much as we want to force it and push it and argue it and debate it. But the fact of the matter is, I cannot force, you cannot force someone else to change their behavior or their thoughts. Now, if you really came to understand and embrace this first limitation that you are not God, it really makes this second one easier, right? I'm not God, I'm not in control. I can't control them. I have a hard time controlling me, right? But here's the crazy thing about this one. We think we can do this even when God has told us he won't do this. Have you ever thought about that? God is not going to violate our free will by forcing us to do something we don't want to do. 1 Timothy 2.4 talks about God, and it says, who desires all men or all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's God's desire. It's his wish. It's his heart. It's his hope that everyone will be saved. Everyone will come to the knowledge of the truth. He doesn't force it. He doesn't say whether you like it or not, you're going to be born again. Rather, he desires. It's his hope. It's his wish. And this approach of God is not just limited to salvation, but it really extends to all areas of life and godliness. God doesn't relate to us in a way where he forces us to change our behavior or our mind. He won't do that. But somehow we think we can or should. Like I said many times, sometimes you can help people more than they want to be helped. There are times where you just have to make your case, do it in love, be as gentle and as kind as you can be, and then accept their response or their decision, even if it isn't the one you hoped for. Even Jesus understood this. Remember in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son returns, and the father who represents God in the story throws this massive party. 
That which was lost is found. That which is dead is now alive. And the father is rejoicing and he's happy. And he wants to share that happiness with all of his friends and neighbors. So he invites them all to come over and he throws this huge party for his prodigal son. He's, he's lost, but now he's home. And it says the older son is kind of out at a distance and he hears all of the noise and the ruckus and the celebration and the music and the cheering and the clapping. He hears it all and he goes in to his father and he says, what's going on? And you know the story that the, the son becomes very angry. You have never thrown a party for me, he says. And the father says, everything I have has always been yours. You've never asked. And so the father, he pleads, he entreats him, come and, and celebrate. Your, your lost brother is now found. That which we mourned is dead, it is alive. Come and celebrate with us. But Jesus ends the parable without telling us what the older son decided to do. Have you ever noticed that about that parable? He pleads, he makes the invitation, but we don't know what he did with that. And the point is, God brings us to a point of many decisions in our lives. And then he kind of just steps back and he honors and respects our choices, even if it's not the one he hoped we would make. The same must be true of us. We cannot force people. We cannot coerce people into changing their minds or their behavior. Third limitation we have to accept and understand when it comes to dealing with toxic people is you have weaknesses. Every one of us in this room, me included, we all have weaknesses. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. Some of the weaknesses mean there are certain ways of relating to people that you've got to watch for because it has the potential of becoming toxic to us and our relationships. And if we get involved in that, it's going to send us down the wrong road. I mean, parents teach this to their kids all the time, don't we? Don't hang around with certain people because they're going to influence you in wrong ways. 1 Corinthians 13 or 15.33 confirms this. Bad company corrupts good character. How many of us get around people who start gossiping and before long, we're kind of just sucked into it and we're telling them everything we know. We're dishing out all the information we know on that subject. If that's a certain weakness for you, then you have to know that, and when that starts happening, you just gotta distance yourself. You gotta get yourself out of that situation so that you don't get drug along with it. I have toxic family members who get even more toxic when they drink alcohol. Before long, they have little, if any, control over what's coming out of their mouths, adding to the toxicity. When our kids were growing up, there, there just came a, a, a line I won't go into the detail of the line, but there just came a line where I said, no more. And we had a lot of people in our family that were drinkers, and when they started drinking, things just went toxic quickly. And so there was an incident that happened, and I just simply sent my family an email, and I said, we will no longer be participating in family events where alcohol is present. 
if you want to drink and you want to get all crazy and, and you want to do stupid things, that's fine. I'm not going to put me and my family in that environment anymore. And that was the end of it. We would go to family events where there was no drinking. And if there was, we simply got our family in the car and we left. You have to realize what is your weakness. And you have to realize what is the potential danger of how that may affect me if I choose to stay in that environment. So we all have weaknesses. They're just things that we, we you know, don't have to put up with the weaknesses of others. So be, be aware not only of your weaknesses, but also be aware of the weaknesses of others. And avoid putting yourself in a position where your weakness or the weakness of others will exploit you and lead you in the wrong direction. So let me just close again. It's this prayer. Father, help me know, help me recognize, help me understand my limitations the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, said he didn't mind admitting the fact that he had weaknesses. Didn't mind recognizing that. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He said, God told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Isn't that cool? When we recognize our weakness, God says, that's where I'm, I'm going to step into that with my strength. So you just watch in your weakness. You just be aware. You watch for it because I'm going to bring my strength into that place of your weakness. And Paul said, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. Bring it on, Lord, he said. He said, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. What is the gift? the treasure that we contain within these earthen vessels, these clay pots. So I just began focusing on the handicap, the weakness, the limitation, and I just began appreciating the gift, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. And he said, it was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. He said, now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, he said, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Some of you probably just need to take that verse and just tape it on your refrigerator, on your mirror for a couple of weeks. This is from the man who discovered the freedom of recognizing I'm a clay jar, nothing more. I'm easily breakable. I have weaknesses. I have limitations, but I can take those limitations in stride because I realize and I'm confident that God is going to give me strength even in the place of my weaknesses. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not anymore. There is incredible freedom in that. Amen? Next week, we'll jump into prayer number three. I'd be, what I want to do this morning is... Um, as we close, is I know uh, we've got some, uh, at least one individual who's kind of going uh, to be leaving uh, today to go to Minneapolis for um, a very, uh, I would probably say very delicate, is that a good word, delicate surgery uh, for his heart. Um, and so one of the things I want to do this morning is I want to pray over uh, Marty. Like I said, they're going to be leaving uh, here this afternoon to go to Minneapolis uh, for the uh, surgery. The surgery happens on Wednesday. Yeah, so we want to just uh, kind of 
surround them. We want to just be in prayer for them this morning. So I'm going to ask Marty to kind of come up here this morning. And as Marty uh, and Karen are coming, if there are others of you here this morning and you need prayer, um, that's kind of what Pam talked about. It, if it's sickness, if it's depression, if it's addiction, I mean, whatever it is this morning, again, God wants to move in on that weakness, Okay, God wants to move in on that place of, of sickness and disease. God wants to move into those places where we have no control or we have limitations, and God wants to move into those places, and he wants to bring his strength. So what we're going to ask is if you want to uh, come up this morning and be prayed for this morning, we're going to do that. Um, I love that she brought a chair. Um, so what I love about this is that this is kind of um, can become just a soaking prayer. We kind of know what his need is, and so what we're asking God to do now is just to move in on that need. So there's others of you this morning, and you kind of just want um, soaking prayer. Just drag a chair up here, and, and what they're telling you is, is that they're just, it, it, it's their invitation for you to come, and we're just going to lay hands on you. We're just going to pray. Um, is there oil? Can you find some oil, Callie? I think there may be some backstage there. Um, so we want to just be praying for them this morning. So if there's anybody else that just invites you, you know, if you want to grab a chair, uh, just bring it up here and we'd love to pray over you. Um, if there are those of you that want to pray over a particular individual, if there's those of you that want to kind of come and just, and just spend some soaking time, uh, just soaking Marty in prayer, you can do that, you know, uh, certainly out loud. You can do that um, quietly. Um, but again, it's just, we're just asking God now to just begin to move. So there's others of you that want that soaking prayer, just kind of come and sit up here this morning. And then others of you just kind of gather around those people. And again, God knows all things. We don't have to know everything to, to be in prayer uh, for that. So if that person doesn't feel comfortable sharing, you, you just pray uh, that God would begin to move in, in power in his strength, in that place of their weakness this morning. So if there's any of you, the others that would just like to be prayed for this morning, don't be shy, don't be bashful. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. So if any of you want to be prayed for this morning, just uh, either stand where you are or grab a chair here and come up this morning. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you see, you know our weaknesses, God. And Lord, as much as we try to be in control of all of those things, God, it's times like these when we get into very, very difficult, very desperate situations, God, that we realize really how little control we have. And so, Lord, we just come in that place this morning, God, in our weaknesses, in our limitations, God, and we recognize that you want to begin to move in in your strength and your power, God, that you want to break every yoke. Father, you want to you heal every disease this morning. You want to, again, you want to break every addiction in this room this morning, Father. So we just welcome you. We thank you, Father, that you are here here this morning, that we matter to you. No matter how lost, no matter how overwhelmed we may feel in the situation, God, no matter how much uh, we may be responsible for the mess that we're in, that God, you don't hold that against us. But it's in that place of repentance. It's in that place of just coming to you, God. Recognizing that you are God. 
nothing is impossible with you. That you can do all things. Things that seem impossible to us, things that seem overwhelming, God, that it's possible with you. Thank you, Lord, that you see us, you know us, you understand, God, that we're just clay pots. But Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this great treasure to contain the treasure of your Holy Spirit. God, we just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would rise up. That your Holy Spirit would just rise up in us this morning. That, God, we would begin to feel a strength and a power that's not of our own. That, God, we would begin to feel the healing manifesting in our bodies, God. That we would feel the chains breaking off this morning. God, that we would begin to feel hope. That we would begin to feel peace that peace that passes understanding. Father, I break off any condemnation. Father, we break off any guilt, any fear. Father, we break off any anxiety, Father. Especially, I, I just pray that over Marty right now, Father God. We break off any fear. We break off any worry, any doubt. And Father, we just ask, Lord, that your perfect love would sweep over Marty, that it would sweep over Daniel this morning, Father that they would know that they're in your hands, God, and there's no better place to be. There's no safer place to be, Father, than in your hands, Father. We thank you for that this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, that that, that place, that place of rest, that place of abiding, it's for whosoever. It's for everyone. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, Father. We thank you for that promise. Father, we call upon your name this morning, Father, that not only will we be saved, we'll be healed, Father, that not only will we be healed, we'll find peace, we'll find your provision, we'll find rest. Oh, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, Jesus said, I will give you rest. We thank you for that rest that Jesus promises. In the midst of this life, no matter how difficult, chaotic, tumultuous it gets, the Lord, you offer us, you invite us to a place of rest. And Father, we, we come there this morning. We come here this morning, Father. We just thank you for that. Father, I pray for others in the congregation. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please.